Good morning, everyone. Good to see you all. My name is Heather, and thank you for coming to worship with us this morning. So if you're visiting with us, we want to keep in touch with you, so I'm going to ask you to please insert your information in this iPad that I will pass around. I'll pass it on this side, so please pass it to the end of your seat, and then behind you, when it gets to this side, please pass it to the end of your seat and in front of you. Thank you. All right, so I have two announcements for you today. We have a next steps class, which really just gives you a lot of information about Pillar. And if you are interested in being a member of Pillar, you are required to take this class. However, if you just want to learn some more about this church, what it is about, um, what do we believe, what our strategies are for living as a godly family here in Okinawa, then this is a class that you want to be a part of. So the class is going to be held today at 10.30, so it's round about at the end of, oh, 12.30, 12.30, so. Oh, okay, so I was right first. <laughs> so it's at 10.30, just at the end of, well, just about at the end of this service, and it should go until about 12 o'clock. It's going to be held on the third floor of the building next door. That's the kids' building. And normally, we would ask that you take food for your families, but since you're already here, you may not have food, maybe not even snack. But if you just go, I'm sure you will get something to nibble on while you're there. So just go, nonetheless. And if you can't make it, um, there is an opportunity for you to join online. So there is a Zoom link. Um, you can check with Beth. I'm not sure she's here now, Bethany Hager, or just any member of the leadership team of Pillar, and you'll be able to get information as to how to be a part of that session. The next announcement is for MC training. Now, because of the nature of the church, persons are always leaving. And so we want to ensure that we have consistent leadership with our MCs. So if you are interested in being the leader of an MC, we ask that you please make an effort to be a part of this training. And this is going to be held on Saturday, August 8th. That's next Saturday coming. And it's going to be from 6 to 8 p.m. again on the third floor of the building next door. That's a kill the kids building. So child care will be provided. And again, if you are not able to attend in person, there is an opportunity to join online. So please speak with John Ransom if you are interested in participating in this MC training. Thank you very much. Thank you, Heather. Um, by the way, while Ron's preaching too, it's, it's okay to do that. And just like, no, 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 Ron, that's wrong. <laughs> just feel free to do that. Um, so uh, God invites us to, to worship him uh, as a body together this morning. I'm going to read uh, to you from uh, Psalm 57, uh, starting with uh, verse 7 going through verse 11. My heart is steadfast, O God. My heart is steadfast. 
I will sing and make melody. Awake, my glory. Awake, O harp and lyre. I will awake the dawn. I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the peoples. I will sing praises to you among the nations. For your steadfast love is great to the heavens, your faithfulness to the clouds. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be all over the earth. Let's pray. Father, uh, we just confess that we need you this morning uh, to, uh, to show us your glory again, uh, to, um, to show us uh, the depth of our need uh, for you, and to show us again the gospel, uh, the hope that you have presented us in the gospel, uh, something that we did not do for ourselves, but you did for us. You took our punishment, Jesus, upon yourself, uh, that uh, we would be uh, given the righteousness of God. And so we just uh, ask for that this morning. We, we, uh, we expect it, we anticipate you coming and, and, and dwelling in the midst of us and um, inhabiting our, our praises. Lord, we thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you guys join us? Oh, sorry, Ron. I completely forgot about you. Do you want to do this? Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> All right. Good morning, Pillar. I'm Ron, one of the elders here. And as we continue our study of the New City Catechism, we get to take a look at some questions that help give us an overarching picture of God's truth. And today to help me is Ben. How are you feeling today? Nervous. Yeah, me too. Uh, at least you didn't correct somebody publicly, and you were wrong. So that, that's, that's me today. So he, here's how this works. And the Catechism works great as congregational and part of congregational worship, but also as family worship at home. It's a question and answer. And so we'll review last week's. We'll review question five, and Ben will help us out with that. So the question for five is, what else did God create? God created all things by his powerful word, and all his creation was very good. Everything flourished under his loving rule. Thank you. And let's do question six, and let's look at the scripture reference for question six. Is Deuteronomy 11.1. 1. It says, You shall therefore love the Lord your God and keep his charge, his statutes, his rules, and his commandments always. So to help us live out that truth, the question is... How can we glorify God? We glorify God by enjoying him, loving him, trusting him, and by obeying his will, commands, and law. And now we'll ask you the same thing, Pillar, and we'll all say this in unison. Pillar Church, how can we glorify God? We glorify God by enjoying him, loving him, trusting him, and by obeying his will, commands, and law. As you can see, if you were doing this at the table, this would bring all kinds of discussion with you and your family about how do we enjoy God? What does it look like to love God and trust him and obey his will, commands, and law? So I hope you are starting to consider this for family worship. And we've done this before, and if you haven't gotten one, we're happy to give you one now, uh, one per family. Uh, Hudson, can you help pass? And Ben, can you grab a stack? And just raise your hand if you'd like one of these, if you haven't received one yet. These are all 52 questions. Uh, and then we also have the children's version as well, which, which is a simplified one. So these guys will take both around and just give, raise your hand and give them one. Go ahead. Thanks, Ben, for your help today. 
All right. Would you guys join us this morning in singing, lifting up our voices, singing of the mercies of God through Christ, what he's done for us um, through Christ, our Savior, and through his church. Let's sing, Look What God Has Done.
through Christ our Savior's work forever and ever and lift your hands and praise Him see His great compassion see His mercy for us raise your voice and thank Him see the church He's building see the lost He's saving to God be glory through Christ our Savior's church for all generations to God be glory through Christ our Savior's work forever and ever sing blessed be your name Blessed be your name in the land that is plentiful, where streams of abundance flow. Blessed be your name. And blessed be your name when I'm found in the desert place. Though I walk through the wilderness, blessed be your name. Every blessing. And every blessing you pour out, I'll turn back to praise. When the darkness closes in, Lord, still I will sing. Blessed be the name of the Lord, blessed be your name, blessed be the name of the Lord, blessed be your glorious name, blessed be your name. The sun's shining down on me when the world's all as it should be. Blessed be your name. Blessed be your name on the road marked with suffering, though there's pain in the offering. Blessed be your name. And every blessing you pour out, I'll turn back to praise. When the darkness closes in, Lord, still I will sing. Blessed be the name of the Lord.
blessed be your name. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be your glorious name. You give and take away. Lord, you give and take away. My heart will choose to say, Lord, blessed be your name. Yes, you give and you take away you give and take away my heart will choose to say lord blessed be your name amen The scripture reading for this morning, it's from Matthew 5. I'm reading from verse 1 to 12. Seeing the crowds, he went upon the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the poor in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on, a, on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. I just put that right Have a seat, please. Well, good morning, Pillar. As I said, I'm Ron. I'm one of the elders here, and I have the honor of continuing and concluding our study of counterculture kingdom in our study of the Beatitudes. John Ransom and his family are taking a well-deserved vacation, and he'll be back next week. Today, the sermon that I'm going to give is called Jesus and the First Amendment. Now, I love me some First Amendment. I love the First Amendment. I teach, one of the classes I teach is AP US, History, U.S. Government and Politics. And many times throughout the year, I'll talk about the First Amendment. And let's have a little civics question. I won't put you on the spot, but th there are five parts of the First Amendment. 
Who can name them? I'm not going to ask you to name them, but raise your hand if you could name them. Okay, we got two. That's good. I like that. Well, let, let me put up on the board here the, uh, the First Amendment, the text of the First Amendment. It says this, and you'll no- notice the five parts to it. Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibited the free exercise thereof or bridging the freedom of speech or of the press or of the right of the people peacefully to assemble and to petition the government to, for a redress of grievances. So basically the five parts, the five liberties that we have in the First Amendment is the free exercise of religion, speech, press, assembly, and petition. Those are the five areas of the First Amendment. And it is a great freedom that we have. In fact, we can almost say, if we look at this, because there's the establishment of religion, government can't establish a religion, that's something for them, not for us as citizens. The first right that we have as citizens in America is the free exercise clause, as it's called, is that we have nothing can stop us from the free exercise of religion. And I like that. There's a lot of ramifications uh, for that. In fact, there's one recent uh, Supreme Court decision that just addressed the free exercise clause. You may see this in the news recently just because it's, it's a real popular issue with COVID, with churches being closed. And recently in Nevada, uh, churches had the rule that they could only have, I'm having trouble with this, they could only have 50 people going. However, Nevada opened up the casinos at 50% capacity. So 50% capacity for casinos, churches could only have 50 people regardless of the size. Well, obviously this caused some consternation, is that why should we give casinos more freedom than a church, even though it's in the First Amendment, free exercise clause? And just last week, a week ago yesterday, the Supreme Court heard this case and in a decision five to four, voted against Calvary Chapel and saying that because we're in a pandemic, governments have the right to almost overstep over the free exercise clause. You still have the right, only 50 of you can go. Well, Neil Gorsuch, uh, Supreme Court Justice Neil Gorsuch, in his dissenting opinion says this, but the First Amendment prohibits such obvious discrimination against the exercise of religion. The world we inhabit today with the pandemic upon us poses unusual challenges, but there is no world in which the Constitution permits Nevada to favor Caesar's palace over Calvary Chapel. This is a popular line from from the dissenting opinion that you perhaps have seen in your social media feeds. It's a great line that exposes some violations to the First Amendment of religious liberty. Deals in a sense, within the order of persecution, which is something that we're going to talk about today, persecution. And Jesus has something to say about that, as you've, you've uh, imagined as Heather read the text. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad. For your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Is Jesus and Neil Gorsuch talking about the same thing when we talk about persecution? Now, how about you? Have you been persecuted? Let me tell you, I was. 10th grade, became a Christian for the first time. My buddy and I decided to have a Bible study. We printed these signs up all over our school. 
Christians in Action, CIA. I was in 10th grade, don't judge. Uh, And so we printed these off, and during our lunch period, we plastered them all over the school, everywhere. And so as we're putting them up, you know, feeling like we're being, you know, doing the good cause of Christ, the security guard at our school kind of turned a corner and was holding a stack of these, and he pointed at us, he's like, come with me. So Charlie and I kind of followed, and we're walking, and he's like, we're going to the vice principal's office. And Charlie and I, rather than being scared, we were like, we're being persecuted. This is great. And so the CIA never really took off uh, because evidently we're persecuted for Christ, or at least so I thought. I come to find out that perhaps I was wrong. Oftentimes when people preach this part of the Beatitudes of uh, blessed are the persecuted, the, sermons, the sermon often takes a look at global Christianity and the global Christian persecution that takes place today. Perhaps countries such as these, you probably have seen maps where Christians experience the most persecution in the world, and these governments or societies or militias are trying to prohibit and inhibit Christian activities. Top three countries? What's your guess? What's the top country that persecutes Christians in Christianity? North Korea is number one. Number two is Afghanistan. Number three is Somalia. You, many of you have been to one of those countries, at least. Uh, Today, it's said that 260 million Christians around the world live under some kind of society or government or militia or power that persecutes belief. They have hostile, uh, hostility toward Christianity. In fact, one of the hot spots for death to Christians is northern and central Nigeria. Just last year, 1,350 Christians were killed in Nigeria alone. So sometimes you hear sermons about persecution dealing with what's going on in the world today, which is a fine sermon. Other times you hear about maybe some historical figures that have been killed for uh, portraying Christ to the world, delivering a Christian message. People like Jim Elliott, uh, who was killed in South America, or John Huss, who was killed in Eastern Europe. Perhaps you've seen some of those or heard some of those sermons. Or maybe the sermon that you've heard about persecution goes to First Amendment and free exercise clause. Maybe they look right out of the articles of the news today to show how we as Christians are not having our voice heard in the marketplace of ideas in society today. And perhaps showing us how we don't get to have our voice, whether it's a particular hot button issue or whether it's uh, maybe some penalty because we believe or we don't serve certain people for certain businesses. Maybe there's some persecution there that we would have in sermons. Sometimes Christians are denied the ability to speak in public about a particular situation. Perhaps the charge at the end of any of these sermons is to give to these organizations uh, to, that work with persecuted Christians or organize and fight this clear violation of the First Amendment of the free exercise clause violations. Now, both of these types of sermons are fine ideas, and I think they're really good. I love talking about the First Amendment, and I want to give to organizations that fight governmental corruption and persecution. However, we have to look at what Jesus has for his message, and it seems like Jesus may have a different message for us today. Jesus may have a different application of what it means to be persecuted for righteousness' sake on his account that we're going to look at in these three verses. So we're going to move from just global persecution 
to through the U.S. headlines about violations of supreme, I mean, supreme Court uh, decisions about religious liberty. But then look at our lives today. Today, right now, how are we persecuted? Think about that. How are you persecuted for being a Christian today? How do we react when we feel like we're persecuted? I'm going to pass the microphone. I'm just kidding. Uh, but, uh, but really... If I did pass the microphone, many of us wouldn't have anything to say. How are we persecuted today? Mm, Not sure. Well, this narrow look at what it means to be persecuted, the day-to-day life of persecution, is going to be our focus today. And so the main idea that I have for this sermon is this. Persecution follows a godly life, so we ought to be concerned when it does not. Persecution follows a godly life, So we ought to be concerned when it does not. So looking at our text again, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad. This eighth beatitude that we are looking at today, the eighth one is just as true as all the other seven. This isn't one that's just special for some Christians. All eight of these are all true and they're for all of us. We are to be poor in spirit and mourning and meek and hungering after righteousness and merciful and pure in heart. We're to be peacemakers and we're to rejoice in feeling persecuted when we are. All eight of these are for all of us in this room. Jesus moves in the text from the third person, blessed are those who are persecuted, Do you notice the shift to the second person? Blessed are you when others revile you. And so Jesus, in all the ones, he talks about them in third person, but for some reason, for this one, he goes with a narrower focus and focuses in on you, on the second person. This persecution that Jesus is talking about isn't just for those Christians who live in China or the Middle East or live under Boko Haram in central and northern Nigeria or Indonesia. This truth, this beatitude, this word, these verses are for all Christians of all time. Sometimes we often put persecution in the box of end times. Uh, If you believe that Christians are persecuted before the second coming, whatever your eschatology is, sometimes we think Christians are only going to be persecuted then. This is a future uh, statement that Jesus is making. None of the other seven are are future. All of the seven are for today. Therefore, this has to be as well. Last week, John covered, blessed are the peacemakers. And that was the seventh beatitude. And he used this verse. It's one of my favorite verses because it's a a weird one. It's Romans 12, 18. And he said that it says this. Paul says, if possible, so far it depends on you, live peaceably with all. And I love all these conditions that Paul puts in. If possible, sometimes it's not. So far as it depends on you, sometimes it doesn't. Live peaceably with all. And so the idea, there are lots of places in this verse to break down. There are lots of places where I can't do that, that I can't live peaceably as a peacemaker. As far as it's up to me, I can. But there are lots of places for this not to work. And right following the peacemaker verse, Jesus gives us what it looks like when it doesn't work when our peacemaking ability seems to break down, and as far as it depends on us, we can't make peace, and people bring chaos to our lives. 
there are lots of places in the verse that, in the peacemaker verse, that we now focus in on our uh, persecution. How do we find hope in our daily lives when this peace does not work? So what is persecution? Here's just a real uh, general definition. It's the pursuit with harassing or oppressive treatment, especially of religious or political beliefs. The pursuit with harassing or oppressive treatment, especially with religious or political beliefs. This could be physical uh, persecution, social persecution, political persecution, financial persecution, legal persecution or opposition to you or to our Christian message. Now, outside of all of our global persecution, outside of that, uh, we also see persecution in the Bible. We're alarmed by the global persecution, but in the Bible, we see many examples of believers being persecuted for their message. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego thrown into the fiery furnace for not bowing a knee to, to Caesar. Not really Caesar, but uh, metaphorically Caesar. Stephen, the first Christian martyr who was killed. Paul, who was jailed, tortured, and historical records tells us he was probably uh, killed. And of course, Jesus as an example of this. There are lots of examples for people who are abused, who are persecuted, who are oppressed because of their belief. So that's what we, we, we know what persecution is on those bigger areas. But what is persecution on the smaller one? And so first, let's say what persecution is not, according to Jesus. Okay, persecution, according to Jesus, is not only physical. And we know that. None of us have probably been physically persecuted because of being a Christian. But it's not only physical. Okay, persecution is not something that we have to be punched in the face or beaten or tortured or jailed. We, as all of these great stories, sometimes we read about these great men and women who were persecuted, either globally in modern days or historical figures or biblical figures in history, and we miss the small ways that Christians are persecuted in our own daily lives, day in and day out. Jesus' verses in the Beatitudes give us hope for those daily small persecutions. So another, another thing that persecution is not, that it's not just persecution. The verse does not say, blessed are those who are persecuted, period, and stop. Lots of people are persecuted for a lot of different reasons. And so here, Jesus isn't just saying, everybody who is persecuted for any reason is blessed. Jesus is narrowing this focus here, and it says that blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, Later on, on my account, which is different. And this kind of leads us to the third one that persecuting is not. Is not simply making people angry. Because people are mad at you, that does not mean you're being persecuted. And so let me give you an example of you at work. So rather than you doing your job, whatever that job is, you've stopped doing the job and you're talking to someone and telling them about Jesus. So the, the guy you're talking to is doing his work, whatever his work is. I don't know what work this would be, but uh, whatever work it is, uh, you're sitting there stopping work to talk to him about that. Or perhaps you are being blatantly offensive and going out of your way to insult others. You're trying to find the most uh, direct passages in the Bible to really talk to them about that at work. 
You're breaking the rules of the workplace. Let's say that. Let's pretend that your cubicle, you're not supposed to put anything up on the cubicle, and you put up a big, you know, I don't know, crucifix, 35 feet tall. Uh, and so uh, you're breaking the rules. So when your supervisor calls you in about either of these three things, you may be quick to claim, I'm being persecuted. No, you're not being persecuted. You're being a jerk is what you're doing. And this is not what Jesus is talking about. Jesus isn't talking about offend as many people as you can, and when they get mad at you, cry persecution. This is the problem with my little CIA stunt, is that you had to have flyers approved from the admin before you put them up. It wasn't a Christian attack. I, I lived in Catholic Rhode Island. Everybody probably was fine with that. Uh, Bible study stuff. But the idea is that I broke the rules of the workplace of sorts. I wasn't being persecuted, but somehow I took delight in being that. Is that if people are being offended because of you and your actions and your lack of tact or winsomeness, that is not being persecuted. That is being a fool. It is not what Jesus is talking about. And so we don't live in a country where we are physically persecuted or even politically or financially, or legally. Making us keep our mask on or keeping churches closed in a pandemic is not being persecuted for righteousness' sake. Some of you may disagree, and that's fine, um, but it is not. It may be a violation of the First Amendment, but it is not a violation of Jesus' charge to be blessed for being persecuted for righteousness' sake. And so we, we start to separate these two, that yes, I can fight for churches to be open if they're being treated differently than casinos are, but I want to make sure that I'm fighting for that with the First Amendment and the free exercise clause. It is not being persecuted for righteousness' sake. And so it's a violation of the First Amendment, maybe, as Neil Gorsuch said, and he said it really well, but this doesn't seem what Jesus is trying to discuss. He doesn't seem like he's trying to discuss to us how to use the political arm of the government to have Christians have more freedom. Jesus never seemed concerned about that. John, Paul, John, Peter never seemed concerned about any of that. In fact, we can almost say quite the opposite, that all of those guys seem to say to follow the laws of the land. So Jesus wanted to encourage us to live righteously even when it comes to heat in our day-to-day -day living. So I, I admit to you publicly here that perhaps in the past, not perhaps, I have, uh, followed the First Amendment with more love and vigor and protection than I have followed Jesus' words. I love talking about the Constitution, in particular the First Amendment, even more narrow, the Free Exercise Clause. I love talking about that. And sometimes I feel like I bring those together and I, I love that more than I love what Jesus is talking about. Maybe you do as well. Well, how does this persecution for righteousness look in our first world, liberal democracy, civil society? How does this work? Because we're not being persecuted in any of those ways as Jesus defined. None of us are being persecuted because we're a Christian for righteousness sake in those ways, in those big, big ways. Well, I came across a book this week. I was at the thrift store and I found this title. It's called The Courage to Be Disliked. Evidently, this is a huge bestseller in Japan. These two Japanese authors wrote this. I don't know anything about the book. Don't write it down. Don't say that I recommended it. I don't know what's in here. I just like the title. 
Uh, evidently, it's something. It's a self-help book using philosophy or something like that. I have it. I actually took it off the shelf at the thrift store. I don't know what it's about, but the title really stuck out to me. The Courage to be Disliked. And as I have been thinking about being persecuted and what does persecution mean for us on a daily basis as Christians, this title really, really spoke to our topic here. The Courage to be Disliked. Now, if you're like me, you want to be liked. I want to be liked. I want to be well thought of. I want to do things that people, I want to ingratiate myself to them and them to me and have good relationships with everybody. And there's nothing wrong with that. The Bible tells us where to have good, where to have a good appearance to outsiders, where to have good relations to those outside the church. And there's nothing wrong with that. However, what's wrong with that is where I let that, the, the courage to be liked is not courage at all, is that sometimes I put aside all gospel truth or I don't speak when I should speak or I don't be quiet when I should be quiet because I'm afraid of offending my friends, my coworkers, uh, students in my classroom. So that sometimes I don't speak because I am bound by this courage to be liked or may, I should say the fear to be disliked is what I fall under. And this book title just kind of snapped it into me that Maybe I need to have the courage to speak up for things for Christ's behalf, for righteousness sake, even if it does cause some dislike. Not because I'm being a jerk, not because I'm trying to uh, offend people or try to rub it in their faces, but rather to try to give the truth uh, for in a ready circumstance. And so for righteousness sake and our identity to Christ, we must be willing to give up some things. And I think this is where, for our society, we live in this really liberal society. And I mean that in the, the, the true definition, free society. We live in a free society that we're not being persecuted. No one's threatening to come in here and shut us down or anything like that. In that, our persecution comes by what we have to be willing to give up. And so the first one just comes right to the top of my head is, is our reputation or our social standing. Are we willing to give that up because people may find you a, a Bible thumper or something so they don't invite you to something or that you're not part of this circle of friends or you're not part of the leadership team at school, at work rather. Um, that could be something that we're persecuted in a way by giving up, by losing our reputation because of our faith in Christ. Maybe our family, our, our extended family, maybe somehow that we've because of completely different worldviews, we severed closeness in some way. And even as we're trying to be peacemakers as much as we can, and we're trying to be meek in our approach to our mothers or fathers or sisters or aunts and uncles, we keep trying, but still, they just can't have it. There's somebody in my family I could tell you that for no action of mine, I felt like I've been very kind over the years, but he is so angry. He refuses to talk to me because I recommended a Tim Keller book to him. Just, I recommended a book, and he refused to talk to me because of what was in Tim Keller's book. Maybe job advancement. We're giving up job advancement because of our belief in Christ. This one's probably less likely. Uh, I can't see this happening directly, but it could happen indirectly. Maybe because you miss out on those after-work uh, binges with the boss, maybe somehow you don't get the same responsibility that someone else on your team gets. How about just rights in general? Maybe we need to give up our First Amendment right at times. If 
you're like me and is so attached to the free exercise clause, maybe because of Christ and because of Christ's witness, maybe I need to stop trying to defend the First Amendment so much. Now, there are times where we want to push back, but there are times maybe that we need to be meek and step back. And perhaps for me, the number one thing that I feel like I'm persecuted for on a daily basis is not saying something, is that maybe we lose our right to enter into a conversation at times. Maybe posting on social media, everything you think about any topic is probably something you shouldn't do. That's probably wise words for all of us, but especially for Christ followers. Maybe we should be a little bit careful about stepping back and not saying something. Years ago, uh, something came out in the news, and I won't tell you what it is. It'll just sidetrack us. But uh, an important hot-button political issue came out in the news, and I posted on Facebook challenging that idea. And somebody in someone who's very close to me, I'm making this vague. How's that for? This doesn't mean somebody who close to me did something about something. You got that? Uh, well, I posted. Somebody was really offended by this. Somebody I was very close to and challenging me, saying that what I wrote really hurt her. And so I deleted it. And that night I went to church, and I was just telling my friend this, and he's like, oh, no, I, would not have, I wouldn't have deleted it. That's the truth. You're telling the truth right there. First Amendment. And I was like, well, sometimes Christ's glory and Christ's honor is more important than me winning an argument, which I wouldn't have won anyway, I just would have expressed my view of, of an argument. And I think as Christians, we all could do a better job in being quiet. Sometimes we need to speak up and get that courage to speak up and challenge. Sometimes we need to shut up. And if your world is like my world, I need to shut up more than I need to speak up on things. That is a type of being of persecution because I don't have a right that I have a right to. And I'm putting that right aside for the glory of God. I think that's way more uh, being persecuted for righteousness sake than me getting mad because the security guard has taken down my, my CIA posters. Well, what if I, why am I not being persecuted? If you think about that, in the question I asked earlier, how are you being persecuted? If you can't think of a real example, you might want to ask, why? Why am I not persecuted? Jesus told us about being meek and pure in heart, peacemakers, persecuted, and he says it's coming. In fact, in 2 Timothy, we hear these words that are very convicting. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ will be persecuted. All who desire to lead a, worthy, a godly life in Christ will be persecuted. And so let's put our logical syllogism on here. If all who desire to live a godly life in Christ are persecuted, to be part, part B, I am not persecuted. Therefore, I don't want to say that last thing, but maybe I'm not living a godly life. Is it possible that your Christian walk is so milquetoast that it is not worthy of being persecuted? Have I lived in such a way that is so ineffective, inoffensive, ineffective, banal, that I am not worth attacking? Am I living with coworkers that nobody needs to attack? 
In one school I worked at years ago, uh, it, I was talking with one guy and a, a friend came up and he mentioned something about me going to church. And this one guy who I worked with for years, two plus years, he said, you're a Christian? I was like, yeah. He goes, you don't act like it. Now, in his mind, he meant it the best possible way in the sense like I'm not judgmental. I'm not, I don't like quote Bible verses. I, but that you don't act like it kind of was like, yeah, I probably don't act like it. I wasn't being persecuted because I didn't act like a Christian. And so how can we do something in which we can see, not that we want to seek persecution. You know, I, we, we had this couple friend years ago, and I, I want to give them the benefit of the doubt. They're godly people. Uh, but my critical side is like it's kind of pretentious to say this, but it's saying like, my wife and I, we pray for trials and persecution because that causes great in our Christian life. I'm like, yeah, whatever. Uh, but, but there is something to that. There is something to this idea of like, are we putting ourselves in places where we can be persecuted? And so lo- looking at our main, main idea, uh, once again, uh, persecution follows a godly life. So we ought to be concerned when it does not. Doesn't mean you need to be fighting with everybody in your workplace, but can someone say, oh, I didn't know you were a Christian. You act so normal. You act so regular. You've never talked about anything important. So in light of this, in light of this truth, how are we to live? How are we to do anything? Because it's not just going to Nigeria to preach the gospel and get killed that Jesus is talking about. He's talking about tomorrow morning at work with the people you've worked with for years. So here are some possible applications to this that maybe you can live in such a way to be worthy of persecution. Well, first, just looking at that extreme persecution that exists in the world today, pray for these people. These people and Christians need your prayers. They're your brothers and sisters in Christ, not living in a civil society, in a liberal democracy somewhere, that they are being persecuted and they need our prayers. We can donate to organizations like Open Doors. If you go to Open Doors, they list all these countries. That's where the map picture came from. All the countries, where people are, stories of Christians in that time. We can donate to them. We can pray to God to have, to have the courage to be disliked in our workplaces and in our uh, families. We can give up our right to speak and respond sometimes, which we need to do. Give up our right to speak. In our political discussions, perhaps we need to stop conflating the First Amendment free exercise clause with Jesus' teachings. They're not the same thing. And so while I'm not giving up the First Amendment as an American citizen, I can't put that as equal or above what Jesus tells me to do. And then the biggest thing is just don't be a jerk. When you're attacked and persecuted, Make sure you're being attacked because of what Jesus says or Jesus' life, not because your bad behavior. Some of you, I'm sure, have bad behavior, because uh, I do at times, just in our discussions, that maybe we can look at ways to uh, let Jesus do the offending, let the gospel do the offending, not me and my delivery of it. Most of us will never lead a, mar- a martyr's death but we must be certain that God sees our small sacrifices that we make on his his behalf every day. 
those small sacrifices of shutting up and not posting and listening more than speaking, or perhaps the insults that come our way from living a godly, righteous life. We have to believe that God is pleased with all of that. And he is. That is our persecution, what it looks like in a first world country. This sermon series is called The Counterculture Kingdom. And it's one more way that Jesus' teachings is opposite of what maybe our natural reaction is. It's opposite of what it is we feel like we want to do or that non-believers do. It's countercultural. It's everything is backwards. Uh, Instead of fighting back, we pray. Instead of arguing, we're silent. Instead of suing for violations, we give up our right to be heard. And instead of running behind the free exercise clause, we trust Jesus to do what he says, that rejoice and be glad because of persecutions coming our way. Now imagine if we at Pillar we're living Jesus' words out, what that would look like in our community if we live this countercultural lifestyle of all of these, all of these uh, uh, beatitudes. Imagine the impact we would have in our workplaces, our homes, our extended families, our schools, our community. If we sought to live a godly life in Christ and gladly accepted the persecution, what would that do to our surroundings? Add this to the other countercultural beatitudes of being peacemakers and meek and being pure in heart. When we talk about persecution, two quotes often come right to the top, uh, and you've heard at least one of these before. Uh, but let me show you two of these. Jim Elliott, who uh, both of these men were killed. Jim Elliott as a missionary, Diedrich Bonhoeffer as a political operative. Uh, Jim Elliott says, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. And Bonhoeffer's quote, when Christ calls a man, he bids him to come and die. I guarantee you every single sermon on persecution brings up these quotes. Are we willing to die for Christ? But now as we talk about maybe dying for Christ or being persecuted isn't those physical, but it's those small types of things that we do in our workplace. Imagine if we substitute them. So he is no fool to give what he cannot keep, my life, to gain what I cannot lose, heaven. Imagine if I substituted that with, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep, my voice, my opinion, my Facebook post, in order to gain what I cannot lose, which is the reward in heaven. When Christ calls a man, he bids him to come and die. He bids him to come and shut up and get off of Instagram. Imagine if we just substituted what it looks like daily, taking out that physical harm out of these two excellent quotes. This is why having a, God, a better perspective of persecution is true. Jesus calls you to come and die. How are you doing that if it's not talking about physical death? What are you dying to in, our li- in your life today? So we saw this. We saw, as I mentioned, blessed, perse- blessed peacemakers, and then right after, blessed per- are the persecuted. As Jesus continues from peacemakers and then persecuted, if you looked in your Bible, the next, the next sentence is this. So he talks about peacemakers, blessed are the persecuted. Then he tells us, you are the salt of the earth, you are the light of the world. 
This order, this syntactical structure is so important. We're to be peacemakers. Sometimes that won't work. We're persecuted. But when we're persecuted for righteousness sake, rejoice. You are the salt of the earth and the light of the world. This, is, this idea of being persecuted bookended by these two ideas is really powerful. And this is what a godly life, this is why a godly life in spite of persecution is so important. Just to wrap up, I want to show you a, uh, a cover from Forbes magazine. Um, here's the headline as I was looking up uh, for persecution. As it, it was reporting on the Open Doors, recent, every year Open Doors puts out like the top countries for persecution, and Forbes was reporting on that, um, on that article. And the headline was this, Persecuted Christians are not given much hope in 2020. Now I understand what it means. Uh, Forbes is saying that persecution around the world is getting more and more. There's no, light, uh, there's no light at the end of the tunnel for persecution for Christians. However, we know it is not true. In your persecutions, whether they are the physical ones that can destroy home and life, or the, the small persecutions, we have hope. We have hope in Jesus. Jesus is our hope. Jesus is our comfort. Jesus is our reward. Jesus is our treasure. That is worth living and being persecuted for. Let's pray together, shall we? Father God, we thank you so much for your truth of the word. Pray that we would have courage to give your message to the people around us and not fear what man can do to us, whether legally or physically. We thank you for the charge to live a godly life, Lord. Show us how we can do that. In your name we pray. Amen. Would you guys join us in standing and sing in worship? is reigning this land of decay it's all falling apart i'm breaking i'm fading it pulls at the seams the cracks run so deep am i too far gone to damage and lost and those who i love are all washing away they're dispersing they're fighting gone disunited the discord confusion Detachment, the distance, they all walk away, they keep washing away, but you, only you, make things new. And I know that these mountains will fall into the sea. I know one day my age will But I can hear you working in ways that I can't see. 
This decline, this unstoppable march, relentless demise. There is one thing that heals, restores, and rebuilds. That gathers the pieces, regenerates, fixes. You and your plan of redemption, your love, it is arcing against the fall of the earth. And no one but you can pick up these pieces. No one but you can put them together. Yeah, you. Only you make things new. Yes, I know that these mountains will fall into the sea. I know one day my age will finally catch up to me. But I can hear you. I can hear you working in ways that I can't see, and you will bring us back to what we were meant to be. Yes, you will bring us back to what we were meant to be.
Thank you, Ron, for that word this morning, investing in our church family. Thank you to uh, Ron's family for giving up the, the time. He's a busy teacher, and uh, you guys also sharing that cost of time together with Ron um, uh, in order to prepare for that. So thank you. Um, let's pray in response to the word that we've heard today. Father God, uh, first I confess that um, I, I have been guilty in both of these ways, uh, in, in not living a life, in, in, in some aspects of my life, just not living a life worthy of persecution, uh, one in which I did not image you, Jesus, to the point that, um, that persecution did not, uh, was not expressed, was not manifest uh, um, uh, against against that image, as as it um, as it happens whenever it's expressed against uh, and it's revealed against sin, um, I just confess that, and I confess that also uh, at times I have artificially created uh, um, situations uh, uh, for persecution, and and in that way, speaking up uh, in, in a way that I shouldn't, um, in a way that did not did not really image you at all, um, but instead just got a rise out of people and just uh, provoked people and um, 
uh, in, in that way uh, did not really, it was not being persecuted for righteousness sake. It was, it was uh, a reaction to my own uh, sinful expressions, uh, twisted expressions that, that didn't really uh, uh, show you or, or, uh, or be aligned. It wasn't aligned with your, your example at all, Jesus. And so I confess that. Um, and I thank you that, um, that right now as I confess that and as I ask for your forgiveness, that you give it. And, and I, I thank you for that. Um, I also pray uh, and just confess along with my church family here that we have failed at different times to, uh, to, to speak up uh, in a, and, and, and live in a righteous way before, uh, before people. Uh, in a way that um, uh, is not uh, provoking just to provoke. Uh, we, we, have, we have done that sometimes, Lord. We have, we have provoked people with the intention to provoke, not to, uh, not to communicate um, the gospel, not to uh, display you in, in your glory and to be faithful with uh, the hope of the gospel. And at times we have, we have gone the other way and we have... Uh, not lived it out even enough for people to notice that that we are Christians that that people don't even see a difference and so um, father we we confess that now as a church family uh, and we thank you that as we confess this as we are uh, just open with you as you know our hearts already and you know everything already but we we just uh, walk through this uh, this this uh, gospel act of confession and and are real about it and and to say father uh we confess we're we're guilty of that um thank you that you you forgive us we receive your forgiveness uh for that right now um we thank you in jesus name amen we're going to continue our worship now through participation in the the lord's supper um in the context of the word that we heard today, uh, whenever you whenever you come up here, and uh, if you've been here a while, you know that we do this every week. We rehearse the gospel by coming up here and remembering what Jesus did on our behalf, and that righteousness comes through faith in Christ, not through um, the works that we've done. But uh, in the context of the, the word that we received today, um, I would encourage you, as you take this back to your seat, um, that you would take a few moments to reflect on Jesus' example uh, of persecuted for righteousness' sake. Um, Jesus, uh, at times, cautioned people from even speaking about him. He was, he was not looking to be persecuted for persecution's sake. Uh, he, he cautioned people. He even told people and charged them to not say anything because he knew that people were, were after him. Um, and yet at times he spoke up uh, enough that he was eventually uh, put to death on, on, the, on a cross. Uh, so um, I would encourage you to think about Jesus' example of being persecuted for righteousness' sake, how he spoke up, how he proclaimed the gospel, how he lived out the gospel, and yet also the meekness of Christ in, in, in which he did not... Uh, for to puff himself up 
speak, speak in a way to, to provoke people and, and wasn't trying to get into fights, to get into to, to fights to win. Uh, Jesus won uh, because he didn't do that. Uh, but instead, he won because for the joy set before him, he went to the cross. Um, what looked like defeat to the world was, was God's victory over sin and death. So I, uh, I encourage you to think about that. Uh, come up here, come down the center aisle, um, and take, uh, we've got these self-contained uh, juice and, and a, a wafer uh, for you to uh, take back to your seat. If you need something that's gluten-free, please come to this side. Take a juice, ignore the wafer on top, and take uh, one of the cups that has a gluten-free cracker in it out of the bowls. Um, come when you're ready. Okay, Pillar, just remember that right after the service next door is our Next Steps class, and that's just a great way to find out more in-depth about Pillar, what we believe, how you can get involved. In the meantime, if you're new here, we just, we're having a hard time. We combine two services. We all wear masks. We don't know who's new, who's not. So here's the charge as you leave. Find somebody who you don't know. They could be here for three months or three years or... Yesterday was our 12th year anniversary here. So we could be old timers or new timers, but try to find someone that doesn't look familiar from the eyes up and uh, say hi to them. So now let's rise for the benediction. 
Pillar Church, may the Lord look upon you with kindness. May he be just to you. May he be your treasure now and always. Go in peace, Pillar. Have a great week.